You're listening to the Revolution Church Podcast. To learn more, including our gathering times in Crossville, Tennessee, visit us at CrossvilleRevolution.com. Well, I want to start today off with a little story that I heard about a mom who took her daughter to church. And uh, they got to church, and this mom was in her late 30s, early 40s, and little girl was about five, six years old. They get to church, and they get there a little early, and they're sitting in their pew, and this lady's daughter looks over at her and says, Mom, I got a question. Why do you have gray hairs? And the mom looked at her daughter with disdain. She couldn't believe what she just asked her. It was within earshot where other people could hear it. And she said, well, every one of those gray hairs represents one time that you were disobedient to me and you didn't listen to me. The daughter said, okay. She got to think about it a few more minutes, looked up at her mom and said, is that why grandma has all gray hair? Funny little story about what we're going to talk about today. Uh, we are in the 11th week of our sermon series where we are going verse by verse through what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. I say this before every sermon I preach, just in case you're a visitor, a first-timer joining us online at Revolution Church. What we like to do about 90, 95% of the time is preach verse by verse through entire books of the Bible or through large passages of Scripture uh, like the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Today uh, is very necessary for us to see the full context of the passage that we're going to go over because out of all the words that Jesus said, This might be the most quoted or partially part of this passage might be the most quoted scripture there is by non-Christians. And it might be, if not the one of the most quoted scriptures there is uh, by Christians as well. Today, we're going to talk about what it means to be judgmental. What did Jesus actually mean when he said this? So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7. We're going to look at verses 1 through 6. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week. And we're going to start out by looking at the first three words that Jesus says. And we're going to stop along the way like we always do. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Y'all with me? Say, I am. Jesus says, do not judge. I mean, y'all have heard that before. Okay? Hear it all the time. Even lost people know it. Usually comes with an attitude. Do not judge. It's amazing how all of a sudden people become independent fundamental Baptists when they quote this sermon because they even go to the old King Jimmy style and say, do not judge lest ye be judged. Y'all know what I'm saying? You ever heard that before? Jesus says, do not judge. In our culture, this is a common theme. We label it tolerance, right? Tupac uh, had famous lyrics. I think it was the name of one of his songs. Only God can judge me. You hear people all the time saying, you can't judge me. You hear people say things like, you don't have the right to tell me what to do. How dare you judge the decisions that I'm making in my life? Well, are those statements accurate and do they line up with what Jesus meant in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6? Well, It depends on what you mean by those statements. When it comes to tolerance and it comes to judging, we really have to understand 
that if we take this verse, these first three words literally, and apply them in a legalistic manner that we can't judge anything, then you guys won't even be able to pick a restaurant to go to. You got to quit using Yelp if you're a Christian. Teachers can't even give grades because that would be judging people. You know, is it okay to judge someone when they get a bad haircut? Stop looking at your neighbor. I don't know. Is it okay to judge a friend or a family member that's hooked on drugs? See, it gets kind of squirrely when we talk, start talking about specifics. And for many of us, the line is very subjective about what's judgmental and what's not. Well, today we're going to clarify this. Every single Christian, if you read the New Testament and the entirety of Scripture, it's very clear we should all be critical and think through doctrine. We should all think through and be judgmental in a sense about the lifestyles of our brothers and sisters. The Holy Spirit, the third part of the Trinity, actually has a spiritual gift that he can give certain believers that's called the spiritual gift of discernment. Discernment, if I could put it in layman's terms, is being able to tell what's true and what's not true, what's real, what's not real. In other words, being able to judge whether something is genuine or not. Jesus does not mean in these opening three words that we're supposed to be naive and we're supposed to lack discernment. Pastor Brennan several months ago said something really good, something along the lines of, you know, it's really easy to pull passages of Scripture or verses of Scripture like this out of context in order to justify what we want to do. How many of y'all know that whatever it is you want to do, you can find verses in the Bible, pull them out of context to justify anything, racism, anything like that, you can justify it. But this is, by the way, why we study through books of the Bible and large passages of Scripture so we get the whole context we use the entirety of Scripture in order to interpret Scripture. That's what we do here. So when we look through this and understand Jesus didn't mean we're supposed to be naive and never say anything to anyone, then we understand that in this passage alone, in verse 6 that we're going to get to today, Jesus refers to some people as dogs and pigs. How did he do that? Unless he was making a judgment. In verse 15 that we're going to get to in the next couple of weeks of Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, beware of false prophets. How are you going to be able to beware of false prophets unless you make a judgment about what a false prophet is? 1 John chapter 4 verse 1 tells us that we're supposed to test the spirits, make a judgment about whether or not uh, we're hearing truth or not. Galatians chapter 1, Paul wrote, if anyone, even an angel of light, brings you a gospel other than the one true gospel, let them be accursed. It sounds like Paul's saying that there's judgment that's needed sometimes in our life. Every single Christian has a responsibility to call out wickedness, to call out deception, and to judge 
a brother or sister who claims the name of Christ but is clearly engaged in unrepentant, ongoing sin. I would encourage you to read 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 13 to summarize it. It's that passage of Scripture where Paul says, don't even associate with, and he gives a list of different things, but essentially sums it up when he opens it up by saying, don't even associate with immoral people. Don't even eat with them. So it's clear that the Bible tells us there are instances where we're supposed to judge. But Jesus gives us further clarity on exactly what he means when we go to John chapter 7 and look at verse 24 when Jesus said this, and it ties directly to the passage we're looking at today. Jesus said, do not judge according to appearance. There's the key phrase, but judge with righteous judgment. So we don't judge people on the surface. We don't judge people according to appearance. We don't judge people without all the facts. In fact, if you do a word study on the word judge that Jesus uses here, it's the Greek word krino. Everybody say krino. Krino. Look at your neighbor and say, I don't know what's krino with you. You know what I mean? We don't use that word anymore. Literally, if you look in Unger's Bible Dictionary, what the word krino means, it means a harsh, self-righteous judgment, a hypercritical evaluation that pretends to know the motive of a person when they don't have all the facts. Jesus is condemning a judgmental, negative, haughty attitude that assesses other people with really the best way to put it is a suspicious spirit. In other words, you don't assume the best motives in brothers or sisters. You're very suspicious and you assume the worst. Chuck Swindoll puts it this way in this opening verse. He says, the calm, careful corporate discipline of a local church is very different from the labeling and judging that occurs between individuals who are fueled by hypocritical pride. Jesus is going to make clear to us today that judgmental people are always on the hunt for faults. They're always on the hunt for mistakes. They're always looking for the imperfections of other people while ignoring their own imperfections. Judgmental people have an attitude of superiority. They presume things that they know absolutely nothing about. Judgmental people tend to be much more prejudiced because they're judging on what's on the outside, and judgmental people are completely full of pride. And honestly, here's the thing. We all struggle with this. Every one of us struggles with judging in this manner in some way. Chuck Swindoll, I just quoted him. He told a story one time about how he was going to the church, a church like in the 70s, uh, back when churches had like week-long revivals. Does anybody remember that? When churches used to have a guest preacher come and, and it got to where they just did it like Sunday through Wednesday, but used to the preacher would actually decide when it was over when the church was like the epicenter of everything going on in town. And he was at a church, a small country church, and showed up and was going to preach this revival. And one of the first people that greeted him at the church was an older man that came to him and said, you're my favorite preacher. I have all your cassette tapes. Anybody remember cassette tapes? And uh, I've listened to all your sermons. I cannot wait to hear you preach this week. I'm so glad you're here. Well, Chuck Swindoll said he got up on Sunday morning, the first service he preached, and 
that man was sitting on the front row, and about five minutes into his sermon, he fell asleep and started snoring. Never happens here, okay, y'all? And if you go to sleep in here, it's cool. We've told y'all we'd rather you get part of a meal than the whole meal, right? Like, or part of a meal than no meal at all, right? And so, but anyway, the next night, he goes up to preach at this revival. The guy's sitting on the front row, falls asleep again. He's starting to get angry because every single night of this revival, it goes on and on. This guy's sitting on the front row, and he dozes off, and he falls asleep. And he's thinking in his head, I can't believe this guy. Should I confront him? He told me he was here to see me. Here he is distracting everybody by snoring on the front row. This is driving me crazy. Well, the last night of the revival, a lady comes up to Chuck Swindoll and says, Hey, I'm the wife of the guy who's sitting on the front row. And I just want you to know, it means the world that you're here at our church preaching. He's only got a few weeks to live. And I want to apologize for him falling asleep on you because the medication they have him on is wearing him out. Chuck Lindahl says he felt about that big when that happened. And we've all been there before. We've all been there before. I remember one time I was helping a couple, trying to be good stewards of their money and get their life in order with their money because it was causing all kinds of problems. And I was helping them with a budget, helping them try to figure out how they should start tithing and all these different things. And then one time I was out to eat and I saw this couple eating at the restaurant that I was eating at. And then quickly I was like, what in the world? In my mind, I'm like, I can't believe I'm telling Brooke, what are they doing eating out, wasting their money? I'm never going to help them again. We'll come to find out somebody had got them a gift card. And there I was being judgmental. A couple of years ago, I was driving through my neighborhood. One of my neighbors why have they not cut their grass? Losers. Redneck idiots. Y'all have done the same thing. Won't even mow their grass. And you know what? I've noticed that they're not even getting up and going up to work because they start their stupid truck every morning at 6 a.m. and it wakes me up. They're probably living off the government and they probably don't even have a job and now they're not mowing their yard. Come to find out, both of them almost died of COVID. They'd been in the hospital. I made these assumptions and these snap judgments. What I should have been doing was mowing their yard for them if I was going to be a witness. But I had a judgmental attitude. Is everybody with me? Say amen. Rev Church, we started 10 years ago. 10 years ago, we started this church. And I know you look around now and you see other churches that are similar to us. When we started 10 years ago, we were doing things that nobody in Crossville dare do. You know, I'm, I'm not from Crossville, and I was the pastor. I'm from Knoxville, can you tell? You know, with all the orange, right? And, like, I'm showing up, and who's this guy, this city boy from Knoxville? Man, we had all kinds of judgments, man. People looking at people saying, when you're done messing around with those goobers at Revolution Church, come to our church. The pastor just waters it down. They're not preaching the real gospel. We heard all kinds of stuff. One of my favorite things that somebody told me they heard from a pulpit in Crossville, and I'm trying to be nice, but it just applies, was this one guy said, yeah, yeah, they're growing so much because we grew a lot because the people in Crossville were just starved for something alive, right? And they said, yeah, yeah, they're growing, they're big, but it's just like a dead possum on the side of the road. What happens? It fills up with gas and then it explodes one day. So that thing's not going to last. 
Yeah, they got a lot of people coming, but they're just a dead possum on the road. It's going to explode one day, and here we are 10 years later. Ha, ha, ha. We made it, right? Because today technically is the 10-year anniversary of when Revolution Church started this weekend, right? And so, so technically, technically, we'll celebrate it in a couple months. But You know what every single one of those judgments had in common? The people saying them had never even stepped foot into Revolution Church. Never even watched a service online. Just saw some kid that was 33 in a t-shirt and jeans. He was different and made a snap judgment. Jesus says, if you don't know something, don't make a snap judgment about it. What Jesus is saying is, isn't it amazing how Many of us can spout off opinions about things even though we have no information about what we're talking about. Or even worse, people that spout off the opinions of someone else and they're just parroting something somebody else said that has no clue what they're talking about. Falls in the category of being judgmental. And by the way, being judgmental inevitably is connected to anger. It's connected to gossip. It's connected to a lot of the things we've talked about in the Sermon on the Mount. He continues, y'all still with me? Say, I am. And listen to what he says in verse 2. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Jesus says, secondly, that being judgmental is foolish. In a very simple applicational sense, being judgmental, what you see with this is the idea of reaping and sowing that you see with several other issues as well. You forgive others, you'll be forgiven. You give, it'll be given back to you. You judge others, it's like a boomerang. It's going to come back to you. Now, it's not in the sense of what we know it in secular society as karma. Karma is you know, when you sin, you're going to get what you deserve. That's completely antithetical to the gospel because we sin and we don't get what we deserve because of Jesus. The idea is, uh, you've heard it in different sayings, what goes around comes around. If you're going to dish it out, you better be willing to take it. You've heard these things before. Uh, people that live in glass houses shouldn't throw rocks. And so what Jesus is saying is, Birds of a feather tend to flock together. And if you're judgmental, you will draw the attention and probably hang around with other people that are critical, religious, and picky. And when you mess up, and rest assured you will mess up, you're going to do something wrong. We're going to clarify this here in just a minute. They will be relentless and their criticism. In Judges chapter 1, there's a great example of this, this idea of you know, reaping what you're sowing and what goes around comes around. Again, not in the karmaic sense that uh, culture tells us, but in the biblical sense. Um, there's a king named Adonai Bezek. And I don't know if you've ever read this story, but Adonai Bezek in verse number 7 of Judges chapter 1 is quoted as saying, I've conquered 70 kings and cut their big toe off and their thumb off, and they fight for the scraps underneath my table. Well, when Adonai Bezek was defeated, what do you think happened to him? They cut off his big toes, 
and they cut off his thumbs. Now, that's weird. Why would you cut off big toes and thumbs? Well, your big toe takes away your dexterity. Cutting off your thumb means that you can't hold a sword and you're completely defenseless. So exactly what he did to others got done to him. This is what Jesus is saying. Don't be surprised if you have a judgmental attitude and don't show grace to other people that when something happens in your life, you sin or something happens, those same people and others have a judgmental attitude towards you and don't show grace to you. See, the, the result of being judgmental is a destructive, condemning attitude. And as we're going to see in the next point, a complete blindness to your own faults. In 16 to 18 years of full-time ministry, and I say that because I wasn't in church ministry full-time, but I was in ministry, so I don't really know when it started technically, but um, I've noticed that sometimes, and we need to be careful with this, the people that God gives the most grace for are the ones that have the least amount of grace for other people, and they're the most judgmental. Have you ever noticed that? Like in, in the 10 years of Revolution Church, we've had tons of people get saved. I think we've baptized over 1,500, 1,600 people in 10 years. It's just crazy to see what God's done. And in that time, I've seen like drug addicts that God restores and sets free from drugs. I've seen marriages be restored. I've seen people be healed from a divorce they go through, and they're so grateful at first they're so like in awe of what God has done for them. And they're so humble. But six months, seven months, eight months down the road, something changes. And it's like the people that God has given the most grace to, all of a sudden, they start looking at everybody else pointing fingers. Look what they're doing wrong. Look what they're doing wrong. Jesus says, be careful. Let me read a scripture to you. Romans chapter 2. It says this. Listen to this. It's so good. You, therefore... Have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone, someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based in truth. So when you, a mere human, pass judgment on them and yet do, do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment, or do you show contempt for the riches of His kindness forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. I like what Ken Sand says. He wrote a book about uh, reconciliation with others, and uh, this is one of the scriptures that he references in the book, and he has a list of questions that go with this passage. He says, how do you want others to judge you? Do you want them to believe good about you instead of evil, to interpret your actions in the best possible way, to really try to understand your side of the story before drawing conclusions or talking to others about you? If so, Jesus commands that you do the same for others. He continues, verse number three. Y'all with me? Say, I am. Everybody alive? Say, amen. Easy preaching, hard living, right? That's the Sermon on the Mount. Listen to what it says here. And here's the overarching, the big point that goes with all this, and I'll explain to you why here in just a minute. Why do you think, or why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? 
You hypocrite. Remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about the word hypocrite. It referred to an actor in a play. The entire theme of Matthew chapter 6 was hypocrisy that we went over for the last four weeks. You remember? Jesus opened Matthew 6 with don't be hypocritical in uh, your fasting. Don't be hypocritical in your prayers and don't be hypocritical in your giving. Then he talked about how uh, heavenly rewards versus earthly rewards. And he said, don't pursue earthly treasures. Don't be a hypocrite when it comes to your money because where your treasure is, there your heart is. Last week, same thing. Hey, why are you worrying like the world worries? You're being a hypocrite. You need to know God's got you. And here he is talking about hypocrisy again when it comes to being judgmental and hypocritical and making snap judgments on other people. He's saying being judgmental is hypocritical. You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I love this passage of Scripture. This is one of two clear passages of Scripture where Jesus doesn't do just anything in order to get his point across. Jesus here tells a joke. He tells a joke. This is the equivalent to when, like, when I'm preaching to you guys and some people just want me to be serious the whole time, but y'all go into, like, a coma and your eyes glaze over and y'all all fall asleep and start snoring, and I have to throw a f- something funny in there in order to get your attention back. This is what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount. He's throwing a joke in to arrest the attention of the people and get his point across. Now, we don't get the joke. What does that mean? You're looking at the speck in your brother's eye, and you've got a plank in your own eye, and that's because humor changes over generations. You ever notice that? Like, there might be some people in here that are senior saints that remember watching I Love Lucy. Anybody know what I Love Lucy is? And to you, you watch that, and you go, it's so funny. But young people in here watch I Love Lucy and go, that's the dumbest thing ever. I don't get it. And in the same way, those same senior saints could watch a show like The Office. Y'all know what The Office is? And you go, I don't understand that. That's so stupid. Like, that's not funny at all. But young people might think it's hilarious. It's because humor changes generationally. There's all different categories, satirical, slapstick, all these different categories. Well, we don't get this as a joke, but in Jesus' day, this was a joke. One time I did a, a sermon example when I was preaching on this passage and, and I had a, a big like two by four sticking out of my head and gave like a toothpick to somebody and everybody was cracking up because I was looking at them and going, hey man, you may want to get that like checked out. You know, you got a toothpick right there that's sticking in you. In the meantime, I had this huge four by four sticking out of my head. This is what Jesus is doing. He's saying, you look ridiculous when you judge other people because you got stuff sticking out of your own life. Don't you dare. Don't you dare start to talk about what somebody else has going on, making these snap religious judgments on them when you got your own stuff to work on. You know, the word for plank that is used here refers to a log that is a rafter or a joist that's used to hold up the walls and the roof of a building. So what Jesus is saying is, how can you see around the plank in your own eye to help someone else with the problems in their life? You've got this huge log sticking out of your head. 
deal with it first so that then you can help others with pet sins and with problems in their life. I want you to notice Jesus did not say, don't pay attention to the speck in someone else's eye. He didn't say, ignore it, don't ever address it. No, what he said was, deal with the plank in your eye before you start to assist others with their problems. Does that make sense to everybody? Say amen. Let me put it to you this way. You ever heard that old saying? Love the sinner, hate the sin. You ever heard that before? It's a good saying. I get the heart behind it. What Jesus is saying is, no, 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 throw that out the window. Here's what he's saying. Love the sinner and hate your own sin. Hate your own sin. Stop focusing on theirs. You get straight first, and then you might be able to help people. I love that Jesus in this passage deals with judgmental people, religious, hypercritical people in this manner because he doesn't pull any punches. He hits it straight on. And really, honestly, he makes fun of the people that struggle with this. I just want you to get that for a second. It's almost as if when you read this in its full context and understand it, Jesus might be trying to make the people that struggle in this area a little angry because it's the only way it's going to get through to them. You know, when it comes to this sin being judgmental, it really happens the most in people that struggle with pride. And the people that struggle with pride tend to be the ones that hear sermons. And when they hear them, they think, I'm glad I don't struggle with this. I'm going to share this sermon online with my son or my daughter or my friend at work because they need to hear this and not me. Well, Jesus is getting all up in their tater patch. He's getting all up in their grill. He's making them uncomfortable, and he might be making them mad. I want you to know that. That's why we do some of the things the way we do them here at Revolution Church, and it's not all cotton candy here. Because sometimes God wants to make you mad. Sometimes God wants things put in a way where we're not just trying to be offensive for offensive sake. We just want the Holy Spirit to mold and shape you. And sometimes you're going to leave here going, I can't believe Pastor Josh said that. I can't believe he used that example. I can't believe. I'm so angry. That was totally inappropriate. I wonder if that was for me. I wonder if that was for me. In fact, let's do something a little different right now. Let's use some fun in order to try to make this point. On Wednesday nights, uh, the students sometimes play a game called sit down. And in this game, they have all the students stand up, and then, you know, the person that's on the platform will say something like, hey, sit down if you ate Taco Bell today. Sit down if you do this today. Sit down if you do that today. And whoever's left standing at the very end is the winner and gets a prize. So we're going to do sit down and try to make the point that Jesus is making today. So everybody stand up, and if you can't stand, raise your hand, okay? Say, don't be, oh, I'm already hearing the, oh, Jesse, Jesse's making us stand up, oh. I didn't come to church to stand up. This is it. Quit being judgmental, okay? Stop it. You're sinning right now. Just repent, okay? Now, we're gonna, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about some sins. 
And we're going to have some people sit down in here. If, if you struggle with this sin, I want you to sit down where you are. And whoever is left standing at the end, y'all know where I'm going with this, right? Then you get to be judge, jury, and executioner at Revolution Church. So sin number one, if you are an Alabama Crimson Tide football fan, sit down. Sin number one, yeah, there we go. We're praying for them, Lord, praying they meet you. They need Jesus. Sin number two, if you own a cat, sit down. And we got to do some work in this church. Every one of y'all that just sat down, you need to schedule a meeting with the elders. We got to talk. I'm being funny. I'm just kidding. Let's just throw this first one out. You ever lied before? Sit down. Even the sound guy sat down. He's like, everybody's going to be looking back at me. You ever struggle with anger before? Sit down. Remember when we talked about that a few weeks ago? It's the equivalent to murder. You ever struggle with lust before? It's just like adultery. Sit down. Ain't nobody standing up. We've got some planks we're dealing with, don't we? Nobody stand up. The only person that could ever stand is Jesus. That's it. All the rest of us, boy, we got our own stuff to work on, don't we? Get the plank out of your eye. Before you judge another. Verse 6 is the last verse in this passage. And it's, it seems like it's out of place. I've already given you a little preview of dogs and pigs, right? But it seems like it's a little out of place. But it actually completely connects and sort of wraps this passage up with a bow. When Jesus says, Do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do... They may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Lastly, Jesus says, use discernment, and I've given you a definition of what discernment is with lost people. Use discernment with lost people. It's commonly thought that this verse is talking about when it comes to conveying God's word or conveying the gospel with someone, make sure you don't cast your pearls to swine. Make sure you don't give what is sacred. Well, God's word is the sacred thing that's referred to in Scripture to someone that will tear it apart. Jesus says dogs will tear you to pieces. Now, in our culture, dogs are pampered pets. They are, we buy sweaters for them and treats for them and all this stuff, but in the Middle East, especially during biblical times, these were wild animals. Think dogs that run in packs, vicious, dangerous, scavengers, and even to this day, they're considered to be unclean. This is a term that all throughout the New Testament was used as a metaphor to describe wicked people. Jesus says, pigs will trample you. Again, pigs today, we think of 
pet pigs, cute domesticated animals on a farm, Wilbur, right? But what we need to think is, like if we lived in Texas, we may understand this more because they've got these wild intrusive boars, razor sharp tusks that cause damage to property. They're aggressive, they're dangerous. And in biblical times and even today, Jewish people understood that pigs were unclean. In fact, they were so unclean and considered to be so unclean that when Jesus gave this message, he might have said and referred to pigs as what most people referred to them as. They wouldn't even say the word pig. They just referred to them as the abomination. This is the language that Jesus is using. What he's saying is God's gifts should not be laid open for abuse. And his word put in any place where it could be mocked. Let me give you a couple of examples to understand this. I was at a church, a traditional church. I worked at three of them before we started Revolution Church. And we had a youth Sunday one time. And uh, on a youth Sunday, it's where the students like lead the worship. And uh, the uh, students do the preaching and the students are the ushers and the students are the greeters and all that stuff. Well, this one student on this youth Sunday that I was heading up gave his testimony. And he went before the church and he told the church's testimony and how he'd struggled with drinking and how he struggled with all this stuff. And I used to struggle with porn and God set me free from it. My small group really helps me. And sometimes I still struggle, but God really is helping me work through it. Gave this beautiful testimony. The next week I was standing in my office or in the office area uh, with several people that were, and it doesn't matter the age, okay? The age can be, every age struggles with this, right? But I was standing in the office area with a bunch of senior saints that were just running this young man down. I can't believe he shared about how he used to drink. And I can't, I've never in my life heard in a church anybody talk about how they were addicted to porn. Just, I can't, not that, like, it's not one of the most major struggles in the history of America, right? Like, let's just sweep it under the carpet. That was casting your pearls before swine. They trampled all over that testimony. I don't even think those people were saved. Does that make sense to everybody saying amen? You know, great place where this happens, probably the main place that this happens in our society today where we cast our pearls before swine and, and we give what is sacred for people to tear it to pieces is social media. You know? Like, let's use wisdom here and let's really think this out. Do you think that the most effective manner, the manner where we could use the most wisdom and be most effective in order to reach people, change people's minds, help them understand something from a biblical perspective is getting on social media and arguing with them about it? What do y'all think? No. No, it's like giving a piece of meat to a dog and letting them tear it apart. It's probably actually worse for your soul than it is theirs because it gets you so stirred up. So Jesus is saying, stop casting your pearls before swine. Stop feeling the need to defend what God is doing in your life, where God is taking you in your life, how he's using you. 
know what I'm saying? You remember uh, when we were the talk of the town this year at Rev Church and the news hit Facebook on a Friday night through a tabloid, said we were buying the theater, made it sound like we put a gun to somebody's head to buy the theater or something like that. And then a thousand comments and 2,000 shares later, we learned a lot about ourselves, didn't we? A lot of judging going on. Non-Christians, Christians. Again, none of those people have ever stepped foot in Revolution Church. I learned more about myself in that weekend than I ever knew before. I couldn't believe it. I was like, I didn't know I did that. I didn't know I said that. Wow, you know? What did I tell you all that Sunday? Don't feel the need to defend. Don't get on there. Hey, when they were accusing Jesus and he's getting ready to be crucified, what did he do? He kept his mouth shut. He didn't say nothing. He didn't feel the need to defend what God was doing through him. And we don't need to either. In other words, don't cast your pearls before swine. Don't give what is sacred, what God's doing in our church, moving, giving us a movie theater. It's, we're looking for somebody that can write a book on the story of our church and then print it off and give it to you guys because the Bible says when you get a vision or when God does something, we should write it down because it's insane what God did. We don't need to defend that. Is everybody with me? Say amen. What do you want me to say? Sorry? Sorry for 1,500 baptisms? Sorry that God's people were generous and we put a million dollars down on a movie theater? Sorry that we're going to reach more people than ever? Sorry that people are getting off drugs? Sorry that marriages are being restored? Sorry? Shut up. Go jump on a lake, baby. Is everybody with me? Say amen. Don't say that. That might be perceived as judgmental too. But y'all get the point. You don't need to defend. Don't cast your pearls before swine. Some of y'all, I'll use this last example and I'll be done. I got two minutes, okay? Some of y'all, like we've had people come to Revolution Church and they've come from a very legalistic religious background. And you start coming to Rev Church because the Lord leads you here. And God uses Reb Church in order to get the gospel to your husband that never would go to church to you at the church you went to before. Not that the church you went to before is bad, but God leads you here and then your husband's like on fire for God and gets saved. Or your kids are like coming to Rev and they like love it and they want to go here on Sunday mornings and you never thought you'd see that. But then you're in the grocery store and you see the people that used to go with you to church to the church you used to go to and they found out you go here, and they don't even look your way. All these people you grew up with your whole life, now they look at you and they just shun you. You don't need to defend yourself. Is everybody with me? Let it roll off your back. It's all good, man. Pray for, hey, I want you. But don't go cast. Don't, don't, don't feel the need to give them something that they can trample. Don't feel the need to give them something that all they're going to do is tear it apart. Make sense, Rev Church? Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for today. I thank you for every single person that is here, God. Uh, Lord, I just pray for myself. When I am judging people for their tall grass, when I am judging the person that pulls out in front of me on the road, help me just remember, I've got some tall grass too. 
Help me to remember that sometimes I don't look in my blind spot when I change lanes. Help me just to honor you in everything that I do. We love you, Lord. You are awesome. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. If you're encouraged by today's message, be sure and rate us and subscribe on iTunes.